listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital, audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay. That actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net. And as a special gift to you guys, Audible has given away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. Hey, Joe, you want a beer before we get started? Uh, ooh, somebody's jumping the gun a little bit. Aren't we supposed to think up some, like, a little cold open or something first and then just ease into it? What are you talking about? The thing at the beginning of the show where we just act all natural. Act all natural? What? I don't even understand what you're talking about. Okay, fine. That's if, if if you want to play the blind samurai to this, we can totally do that. Uh, sure, I would love a beer. Yeah, I got your cold open for you here. Here's a cold beer. Let me open it for you. Oh! Welcome to Digital Noise. Hello. As you may have guessed, this week is Chris and Joe. Hi. And we got a bunch of stuff for you. We've got a hell of a cool giveaway this week that you're really going to be excited to get, get, but I can't tell you what it is till we get to the end. It's so, okay. I'm probably going to steal it anyway. Yeah, you wish. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, uh, uh, not Joe from Twitter says. <laughs> yeah, at not Joe. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, let me just say thanks to all you guys for all your support. I can't tell you how much it means. Uh, becoming a subscriber is really the number one way you can help us out right now. There's four levels of subscription. We are getting ready to start a bi-monthly commentary for, on movies for subscribers, so that will be a lot of fun. And even the highest level, we'll get to pick a lot of the movies that we're doing those commentaries for. So definitely something you might want to get in on. Uh, as well as, of course, the regular weeklies of The Breakfast Pub, the all-new movie and entertainment news show featuring myself and Brian Salisbury, and The Original Gentleman with myself, Bo, and Martin, and more shows and cool stuff to come, including video soon, in those subscriber uh, forums. So thank you so much for those of you who've already subscribed, those who haven't yet, please think about it, because just think about it this way, even though you're like, well, hey, I'm... You know, I don't want to pay this much a month just for this one show at that level. You're not paying just for that one show at that one level. You're paying for everything we do here, because that is the way we're keeping the lights on, which is to say just barely. <laughs> and what he means by that is the lights in our fancy, fancy jacuzzi, where we have lots of sexy parties. What? You have a fancy jacuzzi with sexy parties? Yeah, I thought they emailed you that you were invited. Well, yeah, but the equipment isn't going to record or work in a jacuzzi. 
Well, I mean, get a plastic bag. It's not that difficult. Mm, I'll have to think about it. Uh, also, you'll see a bunch of Amazon links that eventually come up on the page uh, with all the time codes of the movies and TV shows that we review. If you click on those links, they'll bring you to Amazon.com, where if you buy anything from that page, and not even just the object you clicked on, but anything else that you start from that starting point, we get a kickback from that money. And last of all, of course, we are sponsored with by Audible.com that has a huge amount of podcasts, uh, type audiobooks, uh, all sorts of audio dramas, amazing amount of cool stuff on there. I mean, literally, when you look through it, you'll find some stuff you didn't even know existed that like just hits the cool button like you would not believe. Uh, and if you go through our link to audible.com on the page you we get a nice little kickback from that as well when you sign up so sign up damn it so audible is books with words that you hear yes ah, that's the kind future it's kind of our thing nice sort of anyway it's uh time to start futzing about and get to the meat of the matter with what we call reviews and we're going to start off with a very silly little horror film from, I believe it was uh, Shout Factory sent me a while back called Deep in the Darkness. Oh, now, brought to you by Chilla. Well, yeah, brought to you by the Chiller Net- Network, which is right there a sign of, uh-oh. <laughs> Apparently this is based on a 2004 book by Michael Lamo. Sorry, that's his name. I can't, I didn't make it out, make it up. <laughs> but uh, it was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. Uh... And uh, actually has a sequel called Return to Darkness, which came out in 2011. But the idea being is that there's this doctor, Dr. Mike, uh, who has basically decided he's tired of living in the big, big city. And he wants to move out to the country, have a private practice. And yeah, he's, he's tired of convenience. He's, he's tired of, <laughs> of being able to get really good food. He's tired of the crime, tired of the grime, tired of the mimes if you live in Paris. Oh, yeah. they're the worst. Yeah, they don't specify. So, uh, But he you know, comes along, brings his wife and daughter out where he buys the practice and the old house of the previous town's doctor who had died recently from his widow. Only they get out there and find out there's something strange in this town. And what that strange thing is, is weird, like, I don't know, how do you describe them? Well, like cave I, people? Yeah, they, they reminded me a lot uh, of the Vendel in uh, in the 13th Warrior, where, uh-huh. where they were just Neanderthal. Uh, but these guys are kind of like magic psychic Neanderthal. Yeah, they've got, they never really say if they have power powers, per se. But they can hear everything. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's... One of the problems with this film is the conceit that these obviously not wildly bright cave people who've lived there for a long time somehow are like have a uh, a monitoring program that may, would make the NSA jealous. Well, let, let's face it. They understand English but can't speak it. They understand basic theory of medicine but can't actually practice it. And they're they're pretty good vetters of, of not getting screwed over by somebody trying to turn a trick at the last moment. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and I think it, like, one of the problems here is that, like, you've got the whole, oh, the whole town's in on this conspiracy. Because, like, some people in the town are even related to these cave people. Right. They've been there for a long time. And the only reason the doctor hasn't been killed is because sometimes they need a doctor. Right. And, and there's a lot you have to swallow to believe. Not the least of which being, I mean, this isn't, like, the woods in West Virginia. This is just New Hampshire. And you're like, 
You seriously, nobody's called the National Guard in like the last hundred years of these murderous creatures. <laughs> well, the, the 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 bigger conceit that I had to get over was that nobody was racist because it was kind of setting up like that was going to be the punchline, and then no, 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 just just e- evil subterranean creatures. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to find anything even mildly scary in here. There's a bit of gross. A little bit. I, I I thought that the 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 basic character design of the baddies was 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 cute. It was admirable. I mean, it was all right. I mean, we've seen stuff like it, mm-hmm. and in better films. I forget there was a movie by uh, the guy who directed the Blair Witch Project. I'm uh, forgetting his name right now, but he had one of his little film indie films that he put out. Indie horrors was had creatures that looked almost exactly like this. I was like, okay, we've seen this a lot. I like their name, the Isolates. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they they also understand uh, Latin, and so they're able to brand themselves effectively. It's just there's so many generic horror tropes through this freaking thing. There's so many things we've seen a billion times before. It's not filmed particularly well either. N- no, I mean at its best, you've got Dean Stockwell. And that Small. that was the best. That was probably the best part of just him. He's there. That's about it. You're like, yeah, yeah I kind of like yeah, Dean Stockwell. Yeah, very sparsely. And, he, and <laughs> uh, you can't blame anything but time, but he, he just looks so old in it. I yeah. Felt, I felt Isn't sad. he even dead now? I think so. I want to say he's dead already, <laughs> so maybe this sat on a shelf. I'm not even sure. But uh, Deep in the Darkness is not something I can really say I would recommend. It was weird. Some horror sites actually kind of liked it, and I was like, what is it that you like about this? I, I I think that uh, you know what they're going for, yeah. But that's not really enough to to constitute watching something on Chiller. True, true. <laughs> uh, d- definitely better, but still not falling in the, falling in the. I would recommend this zone is Samurai Avenger: The Blind Wolf. Oh no, no, I got plenty to say about this. Uh, I bet you do. <laughs> uh, this is from Synapse Films that is really trying to make a film for people who loved. Like the shit out of uh, what was it, Samurai Assassin, mm-hmm. you know, and also love stuff like Grindhouse, you know. I mean, it's it's the Grindhouse version of Samurai Assassin, basically. except except extremely horrible. <laughs> I wouldn't even go so far as say extremely horrible. I give them points for just effort. There is some real effort in this thing, Good, kind of. Um, it's just not a lot of natural born talent. Well, what's interesting to to go ahead and jump ahead is. The the making of documentary that's included with the Blu-ray, which is about as long as the movie, if not longer, <laughs> uh, they show the... Okay, first off, when you have the writer-director main star, that's that's usually a recipe for disaster, and in this one it definitely is. Uh, but his student films and the seven-minute trailer that he did to get funding for this looked far better than, than the actual end, end, project. end product. Well, sometimes this sort of, like throw everything from this genre at at the wall as hard as you can and hope it splatters uh, <laughs> like type of thing. Like, you know, Kung Fury basically is. Sometimes they're better in a short format. Oh, yeah. And you're like, okay, you don't get an hour and a half for this. You get exhausted with it. And I think this is a perfect example of that in that you've got the story that's basically a parody of the blind swordsman, you know, or not even a parody. It's trying to make a, 
a blind swordsman flick as if this has been around for a long right, time right. It's, and it's, nobody saw has seen it till now. Yeah, and, it's Zatoichi and then a little bit of Lone Wolf and Cub and then yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the one armed swordsman. And, yeah, and a few you know. like some pink lady references. Like there's there's plenty in here. It just none of it actually fits together and the cinematography was atrocious. Oh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> and I'm just I can't tell you how irritated I am now at that trope of like, oh look, this is the footage, the scenes in the footage that we recovered so they're not in great shape. So right. they intentionally make them, you know, the really most violent scenes that were originally cut for violence. You know, there is no originally cut for violence. This was only made a few years ago. Right. <laughs> uh, that were like, that are look all shoddy and everything and like miscolored. And you're like, that's just irritating. Stop it. Well, one of the things that, that was... Uh, oh, I hate this sort of thing uh, that came into my mind was when uh, the director thinks that a shot's going to look really super cool and it just ends up looking really super stupid. And this thing is peppered with them all throughout. And the story here is this guy who was uh, just a nerd when the movie starts, when we, in, at least in terms of the flashbacks, uh, basically meets some scumbag massacre guy? Yeah, yeah like, they were, they were having like a people. picnic and he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, so they're trying to do a Frank Castle thing with him or something, I guess. A little bit. Uh, and so they rape and and kill his wife and kill his daughter and then blind him and leave him for dead. Only he's not dead and he finds a samurai master, as we keep seeing in flashbacks, who te- teaches him how to be a blind badass swordsman. And now he is out for revenge to kill uh, like this guy, knowing that there are seven deadly assassins that have been hired by his enemy to make sure he doesn't even get to him. I don't know how this guy did this since apparently he's been in... They, they make the completely unnecessary story thing of saying, oh yeah, he's in jail for some other thing, don't worry. Right, about right, right. It. But he, he, he's he getting also, out on this day. While in jail, he has an endless amount of gold ingots that he just pays the guards off with. That's, that's how he made the call of, uh, yeah, send your six guys, and then I'm gonna send my own guy. Yeah, I, I just... This is the sort of thing that I feel like there is a way you can do this sort of thing well, but it's going to take somebody a lot more talented, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there was a great way that this was done, and it was a video game for the PS2 <laughs> called Samurai Western, and it was amazing. Oh, that was a fun game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, those original movies that this is parodying, like, they are just as ridiculously over-the-top bloody and even silly, but there's... They were trying to make these films with real sense of like seriousness about them. They're like, right. these are we're trying to make a good film. This guy's not trying to make a good film. He's trying to make a film that's like I love all those bad films and make a bad film himself. Yeah, don't don't go for make bad film. Make go for make film and stuff that's like. You know, are we still doing this in this day and age? Like, the one girl who can't even, like, uh, does it when she starts fighting, she pops her boobs out because yeah. they hypnotize people yeah. when you're like, are, really? <laughs> this, I mean, obviously, there's some 14-year-olds who this is out there. This is going to be right. the cat's meow for. But. Right. And, and, I mean, that's that's definitely where the pink lady genre comes in. But, uh, you know, they did it with much more effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And the things... I love Synapse films, and their releases, like, a lot of the stuff they put out is so good. They're always worth keeping an eye on, and hopefully we've got Suspiria and several other Dario Argento films on the way coming from them on Blu-ray, which is really exciting. 
Uh, but right now, this is not one of those ones that I can say no. <laughs> it's worth your time. Even though they, like you said, they loaded it up with extra features too. Oh yeah, know? yeah, it had plenty. Yeah, audio commentaries by the director Kurando Mitsutaki. Uh, the hour and thirty minute making of documentary. Uh, Twelve minutes on the sword fight choreography. Production stills slideshow. Character design and storyboard slideshow. Story scene. Storyboard scene comparison. A ten minute blooper reel. I mean. These guys really thought they had come up yeah, with well, gold. They were like, "We're not throwing any of this away. This is, you know, this is just bites we're talking about here." There's, there's people who this is going to be exactly what they're looking for and they want. I guarantee it. There's going to be people who love the shit out of this. I'm just not one of those people. This just felt lazy to me. I felt like go watch Shogun Assassin. It's much better. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's just so much to say, but I'm just gonna. I'm done. I already said place uh, Samurai Western instead. But if we want to talk about genre classics, uh, one of the people you have to talk about is Mario Bava, the great Italian director who made so many wonderful films, so many wonderful horror films he's probably best known for, but he was also the guy who invented the giallo genre yep. in Italian film. Now, giallo, if you don't know, is basically... Uh, like originally, they the term was used to describe what called yellow journal yellow books, which were just cheap, sleazy dime crime novels. Yeah, and the film genre was sort of born out of that, but had its own very distinctive sense of style that were very sort of very influential on a lot of directors who were out there, including people like Alfred Hitchcock and Roman Polanski, who were watching these movies and going, wow, this is an, what an amazing use of light and shadow. Oh, yeah, I was going to say the color. lighting in this is just fantastic. In this movie, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which has been the, the, the Blu-ray more pr- prom- uh, dominantly calls it Evil Eye, the American version. Uh, and in fact, both versions are available for watching on this Blu-ray right. you can get here from Kino. Uh, is what is generally referred to as the first of the Giallo films, and which has several different notes. I mean, obviously, there's some a lot of variants, but usually it involves an outsider or a tourist coming into a new area. It involves uh, a killer who sometimes we follow their point of view. Usually, black gloved hands. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of tropes. You see them, Giallo but you don't see them. That some of them are here for the first time. More so in I forget what even what it was. His film right after this. Uh, this was, I believe, even his last black and white film, uh, Bava's. But uh, here you've got this young woman named Nora who goes to Rome uh, and to visit her sickly aunt who dies very shortly into the film ends up rather than staying in that big empty spooky house she finds sort of a friend of her aunt's who says well I actually am going to be largely out of town here and my husband is always gone but you can stay in our big beautiful mansion while we're here only thing is is that she thinks that she sees a killing uh, like a, a dead woman and a guy pulling a knife out of her back and dragging her away, and no one believes her. But then more and more weird shit keeps happening, and it keeps tying into bits and pieces she's finding out about a killer that was previously in this area referred to as the Alphabet Killer, who was alphabetically killing people according to their surnames, who had gotten as far as C, and guess what? Her last name starts with D. <laughs> it does indeed. Well, uh, it, all of these killings happened on, on the, the Spanish steppes in Rome. 
and so, of course, the best idea is to go ahead and stay in, in that, that apartment on the Spanish steps. Well, that's what you do. <laughs> Uh, it's funny that Baba actually did not care much for this film. Um, he, in retrospect, said, look, the plot is just ridiculously silly, which is funny because compared to a lot of other, like, like Suspiria, which is considered to be the masterpiece of all Giallo, mm-hmm. is got a much sillier plot than this does. <laughs> and yet it's like, I think at that point, it just wasn't clear what was, I guess at that point, what was really the stuff that we were looking for out of Giallo? It was, like, style, definitely, more right. so than the substance that was so striking. And it's certainly striking here. I remember at one point he said, you know what would have made this a good movie? If it had had Kim Novak and James Stewart in it, instead of... You oh, know, no, no. He said, no, instead no. of, you know, I can't even remember the names of the actors that were in the film, is what he said. <laughs> like, God damn, Baba. Yeah, that's. That, I think uh, he is incorrect in that... You had John Saxon, who is John's the great John Doctor Foxy in this. <laughs> Doctor Foxy, yeah. And it's fun that this is one of those ones that there's like, I mean, it's a whodunit, and so you know, in these things, nine times out of ten, it's one of the characters we've been introduced to. Yeah, yeah, within the first ten minutes, and within character conservation rules, you're like, okay, it's got to be one of two people, pretty right. much. Uh, and the movie keeps pointing you at one of them more than the other, so you're like. It's got to be the other one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not like the most complex plot in the world, but it is a beautifully shot film. Well, it, it definitely also reminded me. Hey, do you remember when uh, when when a, a suspense thriller was actually just lighthearted and wacky at the same time? Uh, actually, it had there were times. Yeah, but no, I'm I'm serious. Yeah, That's yeah. Ex- that, this this uh, exemplifies that perfectly. Well, it's, there's a sort of like a, that light, almost Italian sex comedy stuff Mm -hmm. floating into it as well, which was starting to be an industry thing at that point in Italian cinema then, too. So it felt like there's pieces of that. Um, One of the big distinctions here, and one of the reasons I'm going to say you really should watch the Italian version instead of the American version. Now, the American version, they actually added sequences that were more light and funny in it that are okay, but they feel a little out of place. I mean, it's not terrible. The American version is not an awful version. The biggest difference being the soundtrack, which oh, yeah. the Italian version had this lovely off-kilter jazz soundtrack that's creepy and fun. And the American version uses a Les Baxter soundtrack, which is also, I mean, come on, Les Black- Baxter, if you like Tropicana and that sort of thing, that stuff can be fun, but it feels weird in an Italian movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. Uh, but one of the one of the bonuses is uh, what I love about these multilingual movies that they made is when they go back and redub everything. Mm. Just they're trying to match the lip movement, so it sounds very staggered, but in a charming way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, though, even the Italian version is dubbed. So. Right. <laughs> You're like, okay, it's Italian movies. They ADR'd everything. everything. <laughs> uh, but I really do recommend this. This is kind of a little piece of history. It's certainly not re- regarded as one of the all-time great Giallos or even one of the all-time great Babas, but... Honestly, it is a gorgeous film. It's a fun film. There's a lot of fun to be had with this movie all throughout it. There was never a moment I was bored during it. It really does hold up, I think. Absolutely. Uh, so next up, we are going to go with something that I don't think really probably holds up as well, and that's <laughs> Peter Benchley's Creature. Not that this may have ever held up. No. Uh, but basically, it's uh, That Clever Land Shark, the movie. <laughs> yep. He, he, uh, he never skips arm day. He never skips leg day because he's a shark. 
yeah. Well, the, you know, it's 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 what he does. Um, this is based on Peter Benchley's novel uh, White Shark, which apparently bears very little in common with this film or miniseries adaptation. And one of the biggest problems with this came out in 1998 was that it's a miniseries at all because yeah. there is nowhere near enough material no, for no, no, three no. hours here. No, there was not. It's an hour. It should have been an hour and a half and it would have been a tight, fun hour and a half in a very B-movie, this is goofy fun sort of way. Yeah, but that's that's not how they decided to play it. No, it's really not. It's a shame. There's good people in this. I mean, Craig T. Nelson playing the basically the Roy Schneider role. You know? Yeah. <laughs> It's because this is this is you know Peter Benchley did Jaws and this has a lot in common with Jaws in some ways you know uh, except here it's a a mutated shark dolphin hybrid that also has human DNA in it so it's super it's super intelligent getting more intelligent and even mutating as it goes so it can in fact at one point of this film and by far the most glorious part of this film, grow legs and walk on land. <laughs> because sometimes you just gotta. My God, that scene, it's like the cliffhanger at the end of the first one. And I was like, that's <laughs> why I immediately started the second half. Because I'm like, that was awesome. <laughs> it was so bad, but it was wonderful. Well, one of the things that was very distracting to me was just whoever they, they hired to, to, to well, not score it, but to at least apply the soundtrack, just went nuts with music. Oh, just yeah. Just all over the place. It's way too much, way too intense. During you're like, okay, calm down a little bit here. Uh, but he, like, uh, Craig T. Nelson is like a shark scientist, whatever the fuck you call that. Uh, but he's a scientist who studies sharks, a marine biologist who specializes in sharks. We uh, they're referred to as sharkinarians. The sharkinarians. There you go. Who loves his sharks, and he's con- he's deal- living out on this beautiful island, and he's constantly getting fucked with by the islanders who don't really get what he does, including, like, you know, fishermen who take tourists out there to try and catch great whites. Only it's established very early on that Craig T. Nelson's kind of a badass. You know, he goes down there when a shark, great, giant fucking great white gets tangled up in this guy's line. He dives under the water to cut the shark free, petting it the whole time. Well, because nobody else could. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only guy who could do that, clearly, or would want to. Well, maybe Fred Dreyer, but that's in a different universe. And, of course, his ex-wife comes to town, who's also a doctor, played by the, at this point, gorgeous Kim Cattrall. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sorry, she's always going to be the girl with green eyes for, uh, for me in yeah, she, uh, Big she, Trouble in Little China. You know? Yeah, she has yet to go through the sexening. Yeah, the, the, the sex and citying, ing yes. <laughs> Which, even then, she was pretty good-looking and hot. No, she she was she was yeah. she was definitely as milfs go. You're you know pretty high up there, uh, and their son is out there who has no charisma of any kind. No, no, it looks oh, like yeah. they cut him out of like the you know rock of like young actors who will ten years later admit that they were gay the whole time because they're too good looking and precious to be mentally. I just referred to him as Driftwood because that's yeah. all he was for the movie. Yeah, there's really he's there just to set up scenes where he screams for help and they come rescue him mm-hmm. uh, and uh, find out that this thing has gotten loose and it's killing people and he's telling people and of course the cops there don't believe him and yada 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 you know how that goes yeah and and dad can't help because apparently uh, the 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 police guy can't help because the islanders are jerks to him too yeah (laughs) i I wish this had been one of those things that had actually been like made as an actual movie because there is a fun movie in this and let's go ahead and keep craig (laughs) 
Craig did. Craig, Craig, was, Craig was great. Well, Craig T. Nelson's great. He's Mister Incredible. Come on. <laughs> he, he is, well, he, he definitely earned it in this one. Because... I never, I never watched Coach, so I can't say anything for that. But he was, he was the dad in Poltergeist. He was Mister Incredible, he, and here he is. What keeps you uh, watching till the end of this thing? Absolutely. It, it, it was cute to see uh, different people here and there that you've seen in other stuff, like Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, oh yeah, has yeah. some FaceTime in it. Who is so overacting? At oh this yeah. Thing. Oh yeah. Playing like. A guy who was a scientist working on the project who created this thing, and then years later, he's a I've gone batshit crazy Islander guy. Oh, yeah, and then he had cheeks full of c- scenery to chew. Oh, my God, yeah. He's like, obviously, this was early in his career. Right. Got, gotta make a show. He really is calling attention to himself more than just a little bit. And Calm Fior, who've seen a lot of things, plays a government agent who had encountered him in the early days and now is willing to let anything go by the wayside to kill the creature. <laughs> I got one mission. Yeah, I, this. I mean, it's bad stuff, but it's one of those like. I wish someone would just edit together the hour and twenty minute version of this because I, then I could recommend it. Yeah, like yeah come fun, on, internet, we've we're, we're making a request here, right? Then I could recommend it as a fun like sci fi channel type movie because some yeah. of the practical effects are actually pretty that, good. That, yeah, no, that was that was one of the most amazing things was the land was, shark looked cool. Yeah, done in ninety eight, <laughs> still still looks fine. Still looks pretty good. All right, so Peter Benchley's creature, like only if you have to. <laughs> uh, staying with the past here, we're going to go with Flawless, which is a film from Robert De Niro's Tribeca Productions, and where he teamed up with Philip Seymour Hoffman. So, no big surprise that this is getting a re-release here, even though right. most people don't remember that it even really existed. And uh, it's kind of for a reason. <laughs> well, it got moderately good reviews when it came out, and I think a lot of that was to do with like, hey, this is a movie that's very sensitive to a primary character who's gay and that didn't happen in 1999 it it kind of felt like a drag equivalent of do the right thing <laughs> like like the like because even even the soundtrack had a very similar vibe to it and mm. obviously the same city uh and of course you know oh this guy is definitely not gonna like this guy and they're gonna butt heads but at some point they're gonna actually come to an understanding well it felt like there's like they took a, a buddy cop film that didn't work out and deleted all the cop parts and yeah, just, just added this <laughs> added this Lifetime Network story on top of the buddy cop parts. Yeah. Because there's this background story going on the whole time that is the background story for a buddy cop movie. Yeah. But, <laughs> but we always, Rob De Niro is a ex-New York uh, city police officer who lives in a kind of crappy apartment complex. And uh, he's regularly irritated by a bunch of drag queens who are regularly practicing at the apartment, sort of across from his. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman being sort of the guy in the apartment, Walter, who who is always like, shut the fuck up, you damn racist. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, De Niro saying stuff that I'm not going to even dare Horrible, horrible things. <laughs> uh, but he, when some criminals come into the place looking for some money that was stolen from them and kill somebody in the apartment complex on the way for looking for it, he goes up, grabs a service re- revolver, trying and help, but then has a stroke and finds himself all alone in his apartment and barely able to talk, not able to move much, and he's it's recommended to him that he get a speech therapist. And he, he I, I'm this is one of those points where I'm like, you know, you can there's a lot of availability of speech therapists. Right. Why would you go to the drag queen that you can't stand and you're really just racist as hell about like you really bigoted as hell about across the way and and near demand that he take give you singing lessons so you can 
try to fix your your speech problem. Well, I'm wondering if that's the reason why they had that scene where he's trying to get a cab and he just uh, slips on the ice and then everybody makes a big hubbub to help him back. And shortly after, that's when, when he, uh, he approaches Hoffman. Maybe he just doesn't want to get all slippy again. That could be it. Like, well, you know, you would think people would come to him, though, one way or the no, other. No, in New York, no. There's eh, no public maybe transit. Not. But either way, it's one of those, like... Where he hates this guy, and that guy hates him, but they're working together, and the movie skips over the part completely where they realize they genuinely like each other. Yeah. It just goes, <laughs> you know what? Now they're friends. <laughs> Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, they're cool, bro. Don't worry. It's all good. It just moves, literally just jumps right to that, like, next scene. Okay, they're friends. What? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I loved about uh, the heavies in this movie is that uh, they were about the dumbest uh, criminals on the planet in that they were going to figure out who had their money just by uh, uh, trial and elimination. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just going to shake down everybody. We're just going to hit everybody in this apartment complex because there's no way whoever has the money couldn't have run through the apartment complex and left. Right. It's, it's only been weeks. <laughs> Uh, and that's the background story. As you know, it's going to come back around to this at some point as we keep flashing, showing the criminals still bothering people in the apartment building, trying to figure it out, uh, and which seem which has no effect on the story until it has to at yeah. the end of the third <laughs> act between uh, Walter and Rusty. You know, I will hand it to Philip Seymour Hoffman. He is a lot of fun to watch as a dr- giant flaming drag queen. Uh. No? No, but I, I love drag queens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know this about you. Uh, he, I don't know. I enjoyed watch, watching Philip Seymour Hoffman do this. I mean, I didn't feel like he ever took the humanity out of the character. No, no. Uh, it, but uh, another thing that uh, about this is that uh, everybody is hyperbolically stereotypical. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, this might be Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, as far as drag queens go. Oh... Not as fun, though. Well, not no, no. But I'm saying if that's your criticism, well, I, no, no, almost no. every drag film, drag well, movie. No, is but like that I way. think Priscilla actually played it with more humanity than 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 uh, Hoffman was able to. Uh, I don't know. I'll give you Hedwig, but <laughs> I'll give you Hedwig and raise you a Priscilla. Um, I don't know. I didn't hate this movie. It just it felt like there's a good movie in this. It's just that Joel Schumacher is the one directing and writing. Yeah, it, and yeah. he is. A hack who's maybe made three good movies in his entire career. Uh, uh, which ones? <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't put me on the spot like that. What Batman and Robin, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, holy rusted metal. Uh, the Lost Boys. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'll falling give, I'll give down. You that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A time to kill. It's mm. pretty good. I guess. <laughs> well, I can't remember what it is. His first movie. One of his first movies was with. Uh, Colin Farrell, and it was actually pretty... It wasn't one of his first ones, but it was one of the first really serious ones. Tigerland. Oh, Good that movie. One. Yeah, yeah. Good with, movie. With Marine Russell But most Crow. of his movies are really not so good. <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't done anything good in a really long time. And this is not a good movie. It's just... I think critics were more fair to it than they had to be because of the period of time when it came out and showing a very positive aspect that was trying to be grittily realistic with this gay man and a straight man sort of getting over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you know, homosexuals weren't being punished with AIDS because of uh, their sinning. Right. <laughs> I just, it's just that, like, it doesn't work when you never 
show the parts where you start seeing why these people start being friends. Right. Yeah. No, no, that that was just, just bonkers. Yeah, didn't understand it at all. And there's no bonus features or anything like that on here, but it's, you know, I mean, it's a curiosity. If you like Philip Seymour Hoffman, I guess it's worth a look. Well, and, and De Niro did go... Uh did go method and, and induced a stroke, so he would he would be able to do that. But then he got rid of the stroke before he actually played it. So it was it was pretty smart of him. <laughs> now, next up is the thing that was uh, this this is so close to being my pick of the week. It's not, but it was so close. And we're talking about Clint Eastwood, the Universal Pictures seven movie collect Blu-ray collection. Because do I need to explain to you any more than it's seven movies from Clint no, Eastwood? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, this is not, like, the best of the best collection. This is the also-rans of Clint Eastwood's career of stuff that's not... They're not bad films. They're just, you know... Hey, yeah, a lot of great singles had amazing B-sides. These are the B-sides. This this is what it is. This is the B-sides of his career, with a few in here that only are B-sides because of how long it's been since they came out. Like, High Plains Drifter is on this, and that's one of his very best films. Oh, yeah, that's that's a standout. I mean, that's in his top five westerns, right there. As opposed to Joe Kidd, which is also in this collection, (laughs) which is not one of his top five westerns. Right, and then you've you've got Two Meals for Sister Sarah. Yeah, which is is really good, very funny one of his comedy westerns uh but yeah going through these here first off i want to say specifically about the beguiled which is directed by don siegel who uh eastwood actually was so enamored with he signed like i think a five movie deal with him on stuff uh which was like, like this coogan's bluff two meals for sisters uh sarah dirty harry and escape from alcatraz so, they so a lot of good stuff came a, out of that. a lot of stuff together the beguiled is maybe the best thing in the set though hmm I mean, with the exception maybe of High Plains Drifter, but I'd never even heard of this fucking movie before. And it is not, I mean, even though it's like set during the Civil War, it's not a Western or anything like this. It's a, this is a drama you could totally see a few years from now someone redoing set in a different period of time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea being towards the end of the American Civil War, uh, Clint Eastwood is John McBurney, who's an injured Yankee soldier. Uh, he's found uh, at the verge of death by a little girl uh, outside of all-girl boarding school in Louisiana, so way behind enemy lines. And uh, they're all really scared and freaked out, but they bring him in the house, and they're like, look, if we give him over to uh, Confederate soldiers, they're either going to kill him on the spot or they're going to drag him to prison where he will die very shortly because his injuries are so severe. So as good Christian woman, we're going to nurse him back to health and... You know, I mean, like, and then give him up (laughs) to go to jail and probably die there. Uh, And it's this weird manipulative story as he is completely taking advantage of all these women and just giving them what they want to hear. And, like, he's having basically approaching romances with three or four of them. Uh, Got to hedge your bets. He's playing a dangerous game. But there's a point in this movie where it turns into misery, <laughs> not, not the emotion, the movie, <laughs> where the girls get their revenge. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, did not see that coming. Sisters doing it for themselves. I, I thought this was a great movie. I, did you, you get to watch this one? I didn't get to watch that just because there was, there was a so lot of them to watch here. But this is, oh, wow, The Beguiled is so good. It's worth the set alone for that one. But... um. 
Also talking about, you know, we said Two Mules for Sister Sarah, which of course has Shirley MacLaine back when she was really so just a button cute, adorable as hell. Before uh, she gained her psychic powers. Yeah, well <laughs> before that, uh, which has Clint Eastwood uh, saving this woman from being gang raped. And she turns out she's a, she's a nun working with revolutionaries who are fighting the French. And he, uh, he agrees to take her to a Mexican camp in uh, exchange for a portion of this French garrison strongbox if they're successful for the whole thing. And he's, you know, it's it's a very uh, African queen relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, he's this total roughneck and she's like trying to be civilized. And it's really funny and it's got some great action sequences in it. And it's a really good movie. Yeah, just all around, you know, it, it, it gives you enough uh, soft to, to counteract the, the, the little parts of, of hard that, that go into it. Yep. Uh, Joe Kidd is set in the early 1900s. Clint Eastwood playing the titular role, former bounty hunter who is, uh, you know, briefly in jail for being a poacher, basically on Indian land and being a drunk. And uh, John Saxon again. Yay, John oh. Saxon, is, who can play anything, is playing a Mexican this time. Oh, well, naturally. Uh, yeah. I mean, hell, if, if uh, what's his name in Touch of Evil? Uh, uh, Charlton Heston can do it. John Saxon can, for God's <laughs> sakes. Uh, and John Saxon shows up. He's organized this revolt against the local landowners who basically have claimed, oh, you know all that paper you signed with the American government says that you legally own this land? Well, the courthouse burned down. Those were the only copies. So <laughs> now it's not your land anymore. And they're like, fuck that. Uh, Robert Duvall, you know, I'd say young, but Robert Duvall was never young. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's, he's one of the Eternals. Yeah, he's still b- basically sporting the monk cut. Uh, <laughs> uh, shows up saying, uh, you know, rich guy going, we're going to get a b- band of people together to hunt these Mexican guys out. And they basically blackmail kid into joining to, to help them only once he gets out there. It's clear he had his own mindset about it and is actually trying to help these Mexicans, at the very least, to say, guys, this is not the way to handle this. Well, I mean, if you're given the chance to to uh, aid and embed John Saxon, you're going to do it. Yeah, of course. John Saxon. I, I did it last week. He's cool. I still can't say what I did. He's still alive. He is. I just saw that the other day. I was like, wow, John Saxon is still alive? He's still... He's still barely kicking. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's because he was taught by Bruce Lee, though. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, he was. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's okay. It's one of the weaker Clint Eastwood Westerns, but still got fun parts in it. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't throw it out of bed for eating crackers. Yeah, so to speak. <laughs> there was High Plains Drifter, the masterpiece. Holy shit, I love the fuck out of this Western, if you've never seen this. And I, this is, it's one of the definitive Man With No Name Clint oh, yes. Eastwood movies. Absolutely. And that it's really, even though it's not one of the spaghetti westerns, mind you, one no. of Sergio Leone's, uh, this is actually directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, I believe, after those. Um, it's, I love the fact that you never really know if he's even alive or not. That's kind of, it's got this sixth sensey thing about it, except right. it's not like, oh, did no one else see him? It's like, it, it was like it's clear he was human at one point. Yeah, did we just? But you, is he a dev, a demon from hell come to wreak revenge? Yeah, or, we just got hainted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or is he just a a human? Uh, and you could look at it either way. But it's a really dark and funny and super fucking violent western that stands up right up with any of Clint Eastwood's. Oh yeah, best. absolutely. Yeah, as long as you're you're uh, you know not so. 
If you're free and easy with the whole women being objects thing, it's, it's well, so it's, it's, it's a movie made before 1985, so there, or 95. Oh, wait, wait, when they ratified the Women Are People Act. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> what? Real people? As opposed to Coogan's Bluff, made in 1968 in this set, uh, which it may be the most sexist film I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, holy shit. And they actually made a spinoff TV show of this called McLeod with Dennis Weaver that was like, like, it was clear this is based on that. Mm. Even though they didn't say it was, it was like, it was one of those shows by the same guy who did Battlestar Galactica, who, if I'm not mistaken, who all his shows were just ripoffs of other movies. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But here, uh, Clint's playing like a Arizona deputy sheriff who's a total cowboy and he has to go to New York City to extradite this hippie killer and uh, nobody there wants him there and he walks around being all cowboy and pretty much raping woman (laughs) mind you heroically raping woman no no he he was recalibrating their sexuality yeah (laughs) Uh, if anything this is just startling at how nasty this character actually is like what were y'all thinking yeah and he's the law he's such an asshole but at its best is it's like this is what hippies do sequence (laughs) it's like all the there's like lots of Clint Eastwood full cowboy attire walking around like hippie lovins everyone's like grooving out camera doing the zoom in and out oh yeah yeah it was it was it was uh most of the 60s were, were just laugh-in takes. Yeah, uh, with Lee J. Cobb playing the local New York detective who is totally just re- incredibly aggravated that he's even there. Uh, but, like, the worst, like, he immediately hooks up with this, like, this hot social worker there. And, like, who's who's obviously they're trying to treat as this modern woman. But the movie's moral is, like, no, you see, the problem is, is that you thought you were better than men when yeah. you just need to do what men tell you because ultimately in the end, you know you love them and they're right. Yeah, don't use that thinky thing because that's what the things with penises are for. Oh my God, it's so it's so bad the way they do that here. Then, of course, you've got Play Misty for Me, which is a very early uh, Clint Eastwood-directed film. 1971, his first his first directorial debut film, and it's a thriller. I, I, I didn't get to watch it, but I just saw that Jessica Walters was in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Archer's Very mom. Well done. Uh, and it's basically Clint Eastwood gets stalked by this, he's a radio DJ, gets stalked by a, uh, a reoccurring caller who always requests the jazz standard Misty. Uh, and, you know, he, has, he meets her, has sex with her, and then she turns out she is, has borderline disorder, uh, personality disorder and goes really crazy and people start dying. And it's a really good, creepy, fucked up little movie. Mm. It was a strong directorial debut. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was a uh, pretty well regarded at the time when it even came out said, you know, this isn't a giant artistic masterpiece, but it's a strong debut from, from Clint Eastwood, who clearly went on to do even better stuff after that. It was at least a base hit. Uh, last off here in this Blu-ray set is the Iger Sanction, which is a huge mess. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, is this movie a mess. This is definitely the hardest to watch of any of the films in this. Yeah. It's a way <laughs> over long film. I mean, it's 123 minutes, which is definitely too long, about an art history professor and mountain climber who, apparently before he did that, was the world's best professional assassin, and he is kind of forced out of retirement to avenge the murder of an old friend and for a lot of money by this most ridiculous 
like guy ever. Like an albino, yeah. handicapped, sun oversensitive. But but he, I mean, he's got as many maladies as Clint has skills in this movie. So <laughs> sure, why not? True, and just the way this whole thing goes with like this, like the first half is okay. It's kind of fun. Like, with him, you know, being all grumpy about having to get back to this and how goofy it is and some of the early him being dealing with spy scenarios. But then the second half of the movie is one long mountain climbing sequence that is really fucking tedious. Yeah. uh, Cliffhanger did it better. (laughs) I know. It's hard to say out loud, but (laughs) it's true. It's true. It did. Uh, And this is based on a book by the great writer Trevanian. Uh, that was intended as a satire of James Bond films and James Bond novels. So, and the film director did not get that. Right. So if, if he was in on, on, on the, the, the joke. Did not get that this was supposed to be a satire and tried to make a serious version of it. And it doesn't really work. No. Yeah. I, it, and it's weird. I mean, as far as I know, it's one of the only times like Clint plays basically a spy. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's the right type of role for Clint. <laughs> no, no, he, he he needs to be America's hard man. Yeah, uh, George Kennedy p- uh, plays with Clint Eastwood in this, and he's kind of funny in it. Well, yeah, but it's it's Kennedy. He's, yeah, that, he's that's always, what he brings. He's always playing. There's some very beautiful woman in this thing as well. It's just ultimately, it's kind of a wreck. So, uh, and it was not well regarded when it came out either. <laughs> it's not one of those me saying now, yeah, it doesn't hold up. No, nobody liked this yeah, when it came but out. But back in the day, there was a toy line. But it's one of those, hey, it's seven films bundled together all on Blu-ray in a tight little, just barely the size of two normal Blu-ray movies yeah. fit on your shelf thing. And with most of the films in here really worth watching. So a pretty damn good set nonetheless. Uh, going to some more newer stuff, we've got The Blue Room, which is a 2014 French erotic thriller directed and starring Mathieu Amaric. Uh, uh, no, I'm saying that wrong, but he's this actor you've seen in stuff like The Diving Bell and The Butterfly or Steven Spielberg's Munich or the bad, the main villain in The Quantum of Solace. He's one of those French actors who gets around. He, he does, he does. <laughs> uh, and this is a very arty experiment in yeah. in telling the story of like in like a, a sexually charged murder thriller right and, and and i got that but uh for me it was just there wasn't really anything new that it was bringing to the table uh and even though it's very short it felt like it lagged on <laughs> yeah it's extremely short 76 minutes um and it's one of those, like, it's it's trying to tell your story from the beginning. Uh, Matthew it plays Julian, and he is being held in a police station, and they're asking him questions about what happened, and the movie keeps flashing back in very arty-type shots of, like, what happened with, basically, they know he was having an affair. Uh, you know, he's a married man having an affair with this woman, who admittedly is gorgeous and is naked throughout more shots. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you said it starts with a man, but when, when in reality, it starts with full frontal nudity. Yes, it does, <laughs> with this girl that David Lynch would have been more than pleased to have in, yes. in uh, any of his films. Uh, and is, like, we so we see right off the bat what the attraction was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no, we, we, we get it. But it's clear, obviously, something happened. We just don't know what till towards the end of the film. And right. It's not like one of those, like, it's a big twist. It's not... It's not really hard at all to figure out what happened. Yeah, you know he's in in the, in the in lockup for a reason. I mean, it feels like if anything, this film is exploring like the 
flexibility of memory to some extent, maybe? I mean, I, it's not even wearing that on its sleeve. It's well, very... No, it, it, it kind of felt like uh, it was trying to be a Camus novel. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, but not trying hard enough. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, well, he, he blew his load the first five times, but then he waited, and then he blew that last load. You know, it's not even that. Like, it's yeah. just, what is this? And, and quite frankly, what does she see in this doorknob? <laughs> he's he's not particularly attractive. He's not charming. Oh, I don't know. A lot of women find this actor very attractive. Well, this so. woman does not find him attractive. I'm just saying, that Captain I mean, Jack he, he he looks like he should be storing uh, treasures in, in an alcove somewhere. He does. He does at that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are parts of this film. I thought the cinematography was gorgeous, uh, and I I think I liked it better before I knew how it ended. Mm. You know, where I was like, what is this leading to? Like, it had me interested enough to go, where is this going? And then when I saw, oh, you don't really have any surprises, I went, <laughs> no. oh, that was it? The end. The end. Sorry. That was all you get. <laughs> but it's the guy's first directed film. Maybe he's, he was trying to be, he was definitely trying to do some, something different in his structure. And I think, in a, I think he achieved trying to, I, he achieved that. I just don't think it made it worthwhile for the viewer with what you ended up getting out of that. No, like, uh, you don't even really understand his, uh, character's motivations, uh, which is, which is part of why I wonder if they are trying to get existential with it, because he's not particularly crazy about his wife. He's not particularly crazy about the woman he's having the affair with. He's yeah. Just he's, he's, he's this, isn't that just like life? It's what you do. That's <laughs> just what you do. You're French. You've got to. You have to have a fair. Your neighbors will be like, what the fuck, dude? Why, you, why do you not have a fair? What is the fuck? <laughs> the fuck for quoi? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just... Overall, I don't even... Uh, it's just forgettable. It's yeah. a minor... It's a minor, minor film that I like this actor a lot, but maybe being a director, this felt like one of those films you see by an actor that you like that tries directing for the first time, and then that's the only film they ever direct. Which, which, like go ahead, get it out of your system. <laughs> get it out of your system is what the, it's a get it out of your system <laughs> film. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, now, there's very mixed reviews about this next one called Before I Disappear, which is a little indie film that actually did extremely well at a lot of film festivals. Very, very well regarded at South by Southwest when it played here. In fact, I, 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 it won the Audience Award and was also in competition at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, it got a lot of really good reviews from various different magazines. But I just, I wasn't entirely crazy about this. I think there's a lot of good things about this story, but it never really felt it didn't, it didn't naturalistic really hit, it didn't hit to at me. All. It felt very, uh, like, how do I describe this? Um, what is that Zach Braff first film? Oh, Garden State? Yeah, it felt like Garden State if n it never gelled in any way. Like, you're like, oh, this is clever, and these are quirky, fun characters and the filmmaking is inventive and there's a really great soundtrack and there's a lot of stuff happening and the plot's moving along quickly but no one feels like real people to me well, uh, I don't know if you want to you, you kind of have to get an idea of what the plot is before Go ahead. I, I can really say Go ahead. how I felt so just kind of loser schmucky kind of druggy guy, but not really. Just misses his girlfriend who's dead and boo hoo, and he wants to to go ahead and off himself so he can join her. 
uh, is pulled into uh, being the custodian of his niece, who he has not really met, uh, and she is 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 very studious. She's got to stick up her ass, right? And so, of course, there's that mismatch of, of these two, and then uh, through the course of events, they they get to to truly appreciate each other. The big problem that I had was halfway through, as, as they're having banter uh, at a at like a, a diner. The the setup for all this is an indie romantic comedy. <laughs> like they're basically courting each other like a romantic comedy. It, it had that where it felt like maybe parts of this were originally in another script. Yeah, you know, <laughs> completely. I mean, not to the extent where it's creepy or anything here. Well, the, oh, yeah, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying he was trying to to, to give her anything. Right, right, right. But, but just like, you no, know, this is the format that one would use to get Zoe Dashnell to finally fall in love with JGL. <laughs> Although so it, it would probably be the other way around with Zoe being the goofy, you know. Oh yeah, no, yeah. she's standing on top of the table when he's sitting on on the floor. Exactly, uh, and there's there are some things here that really work. There's this like as it's you, we slowly start to find out, you know, about the distance that's been created, why he's never he barely even met her before, and why there's a distance between him and his sister, her mother. And how it relates to these flip books he used to make, and how he was the creative one, and she was the one who had to get serious because she got pregnant when she was very young. I actually found most of that stuff as it was building kind of interesting. Yeah, but I, I so she she was getting all sass mouth with him about how he got to make all those mistakes when he was a kid, and she couldn't because she was pregnant. It's like, well, you made one. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I thought I found more of this. I actually did find more of this charming from a filmmaker point of view than I didn't. I thought. Uh, most of the performances are pretty good, although I thought the lead played it almost too flat. Uh, he 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 played it kind of flat, but uh, there there were Sean Christensen, uh, like his voiceover, I did not care for. But uh, yeah, I almost never care for voiceovers unless it's done for comic effect or Martin Scorsese's doing it. I'm not really crazy about it. But uh, oddly, what I did appreciate was this is one of those movies that could have just gone super bleak at the end, and it doesn't. No. It chose a different path that I and did it in a way that wasn't that felt earned, right? And and, it, and actually had a nice little sort of like, like, like even he's not sure yet until the very last frame, almost what right. he wants to do, and, and that I, I, I severely appreciated. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't end up being a sort of look how existential we are type of thing. Yeah, no. I mean, this is trying to be more charming and funny and and creatively goofy then it's not and it has some fun people along the way it was weird to see uh 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 franz uh god what the hell is his name uh fran kranz who we almost we see in nothing but goofy roles ever playing like you know the abusive <laughs> uh, like father of the kid in a totally straight role it's like why would you cast fran kranz in that role <laughs> who's of course the stoner from cabin in the woods right you know you're like that Seems like poor casting. I'm just saying, but um, and you get to see Ron Perlman. But like, honestly, if you do like stuff like Garden State or or what or uh, like Wes Anderson films, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, this has got that sort of quirky sensibility to it. Where yeah. it's not good as good as the best stuff by those people, but it still is an interesting little film that certainly got more than enough to make it worth a look. Yeah, just just ignore the the, the very heavy handed symbolism. I think you're good to go. I did think it was weird that it was it was made from a short film that a lot of people said you know, the short film was much better than the full film mm-hmm. and the 
short film won a bunch of film festival awards and was very highly regarded, and it's not included on the disc? That was, yeah, that's <laughs> that's weird. I didn't know about it, but why not put it on there? That was a, yeah, very strange choice. Uh, next up is uh, one of the most controversial controversial films in, with audiences in 2014, even though I thought the controversy was overblown as hell, American Sniper. Also Clint Eastwood. Also Clint Eastwood, which I probably should have followed the Clint Eastwood <laughs> setup with in retrospect. But um, this film, God, I've never heard more calm, sensible, rational people I have fly off the handle about a film they've never seen mm-hmm. than American Sniper. And then you actually see it and you go, seriously, guys, this is what you're getting all bent out of shape about? Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got a ton of hot buttons in there. Yeah, but none of them are being pressed, though. Well, no, but that, that's it's just that they're there. Like, I think if you took <laughs> the first 45 minutes of it, uh, then you'd say, this is obviously like some sort of patriotism manual. And then you keep watching the film and go, well, that, yeah, oh, that's, wait, that's the this problem. is about how being a sniper really fucks you up inside. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I don't think it handled it quite. Uh, quite as severely as it could have, but it was also made to be a movie. I mean, some of the controversy about this is because of the guy itself it's based on. uh, Chris uh, Kyle. Chris Kyle, who really... Sorry, guys, he really was kind of a scumbag. Uh, He... Yes, obviously he was this soldier who was a warrior who like saved lots of soldiers' lives, had to kill a lot of people to do it, but that's war. Sorry if you're going to have a hissy fit about that, but guess what? That's war. <laughs> you know, uh, especially in this modern time in this war in this war in particular where they were sending people running at, at soldiers with bombs strapped to their body. It's like, guess what? We kind of needed snipers. Well, that's for this that's war. been in a lot of wars, but, but but in this one in particular, we we came prepared. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't, I don't have a problem inherently with us having snipers who that's their job. And they even show during the war sequences, like even he's having trouble knowing what, when is the right time to pull the trigger. Well, and, yeah. And that there could be repercussions if he chooses poorly. Yeah. And, and I thought I found that really interesting and they don't play this guy up as like, he can do no wrong type of guy. I didn't think they played that at all. They were like, Oh, he's really good at what he does because he puts a lot of thought into it. Okay. I, well, once again, the problem is Chris Kyle maybe not as heroic as or as smart even as no. the movie portrayed him as being, and after the fact said some truly awful shit along the way and start, told a lot of big lies that he got busted for and whatever. Yeah, but then we're got, watching a movie. But then he got kicked <laughs> off the NBC Nightly News. Wait, wrong guy. Yeah, what, who was the wrestler? Was it Jesse Ventura? He talked about a bunch of shit about that turned out to be totally untrue. Oh, did he? Yeah, there was oh. some big scandal with a wrestler. Where he's like said that he said a bunch of shit and that, or said that he kicked his ass or something, and then it was like the other people there were like, "No, he didn't." It probably wasn't Jesse, <laughs> if only because Jesse was a seal, also. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, as this goes along, you. You know, it's him getting out and realizing that as much as he's being hailed as a hero and he thinks, no, I'm fine, whatever, I came out on top, you know, I'm the best of the best, and starts to realize that that PTSD shit, that can hide deep in your soul for a while. Yeah, the P to the S to the T to the D. Yeah, and I actually found it interesting. I think Bradley Cooper did a great job uh, portraying this character. I thought he did a great job bulking up for the role. Well, yeah, that too. Somebody's like, like, wow, he's a monster now. Somebody's like, I'm going to be a superhero soon, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm doing this movie just to train to be whatever. Because I'm the face man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, at its worst, some of the effects are a little not great. I mean, for one thing, the, the well 
you know, told story of why did you use a fake baby doll in the scenes with the baby? That was so weird. It was like, so <laughs> obviously a fake baby. You couldn't have rented a baby. Go to rent a baby. It's in Hollywood. I, I just, I mean, it's there's not even a moment that you look at that thing and think it's a real baby. No. It's <laughs> like, what is that? I mean, it's not like some baby being killed in, in Iraq. It's like... A baby in its a nursery. A baby in its nursery. <laughs> like, that's a, like, that he picks up and like, that's a toy baby doll. That's not a real baby. Yeah, I, when I saw that, I thought, did he grow so strong that he just crushes babies by accident? <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think I like this really a, a, a lot, even. I don't think it's anywhere near one of Clint Eastwood's best films. I mean, Unforgiven is always going to be his masterpiece, but he has many others as well. I would call, like, films I will never forget and want to go back and watch again and again and again. This is not a film I'm going to go back and rewatch no, anytime no, soon. It's, it's, it's but I still really enjoyed it. Sienna Miller is in this, even though she's not given a hell of a lot to do. She's, really. Yeah, but that's that's kind of the, the definition of a military wife. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I, all I'm saying is, if you avoided this because you're like me, uh, you know, kind of can be a little leaning to the left, and you believed a lot of the hyperbolic screaming about this film without actually seeing it, that's not, that's all it is. It's hyperbolic screaming because the Republican part, people who wanted to push this film as like an example of an American hero, you by default, you know, gut reacted and said, <laughs> oh, it must be awful. And people who people who like guns are going to see a lot of big guns put holes in a lot of things. People who brought things to this movie that pissed them off or made them feel that this supported their agendas, that's their baggage they brought into this film. Because I didn't think this film was supporting any agenda except, hey, you got to understand some of these soldiers coming back, they're going to be hurting, even if they well, don't seem like they are. I think it did push an agenda. I don't think it was ramming it down your throat as much as people would think. But it's also about a very particular person with a very particular mindset and anytime you have that in a biopic it's going to be reflected well i mean there's a lot of biopics that are about people that leave out those nasty parts entirely or they over examine it and make it seem like that's all they were and i felt this one on the whole just kind of decided not to deal with the nasty bits and yes this guy himself not a nice person like i mean he did some nice things but overall he was a fucked up kind of a fucked up guy and said some fucked up shit if this movie came out of it, it had included that stuff and treated him like, oh, no, those were good things, then I would say, sure. But I, it's, you know, when you're making biopics, you can't get upset because of what they didn't include or say, oh, you can't like this film because that guy did some stuff in real life, not in this film I didn't like. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> well, we have to it, throw it, a lot of biopics out the window if we do that. I mean, that, well, that, that's that's part of the, the, the problem, though, is, is, is the, the metatextual client, or climate right now. <laughs> just everybody's going to toss everything onto this movie. True. Left and right. So just be your own person. At least give it a chance. Uh, this comes with a 31-minute uh, piece called One Soldier's Story, The Journey of American S Sniper, that takes a look at the filmmaker's interest in the story prior to the book, meetings with Kyle prior to his death, uh, all the details, just basically how it went from book to movie. Uh, and then a 28-minute uh, piece called The Making of an American American Sniper that is uh, looks like it's more of an EPK, really, than anything else. But, you know. Anyway... Moving on from American Sniper, jeez, uh, what the hell else do we have left left here? Oh, uh, this, uh, probably uh, just like uh, let's go to. Oh yeah, I got one. I you didn't get to see, but this is oh no. My pick of the week is, and this is one of the ones, and this is coming in late. I should have reviewed this like two weeks ago, but sometimes the TV shows 
fall on the back burner for a while because you got to devote a lot of time to watch it. And this one is Halt and Catch Fire, the AMC show, complete first season. Now, I, at first, I, was, I don't even think I asked for this because I think it, I had heard that it was getting canceled, but it, that was misinformation. In fact, the second season starts uh, this Sunday. And uh, it's about the Silicon Prairie of Texas in 1983, even though it's a fictionalized insider view of what was happening. So this isn't based on a real company or real people, but they're all sort of analogs of people who were around then of that moment between when the PC was, when the IBM was dominating the market, everybody else was scared to compete with them. Nobody was making PC clones yet. And this Mm -hmm. is like the first company that's basically going, I don't see, I found a legal loophole where we can manufacture PC clones and make them better than the, the PCs that IBM is actually putting out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's a really fascinating sort of pirate story as these three characters, who as I described on Facebook when, when I wrote it, Lee Pace basic, plays Joe McMillan, who I described as a young Kevin Sp- Spacey from House of Cards. <laughs> uh, Scoot McNary, yes, the chameleon Scoot McNary, plays Cameron Howe, who's basically, who's definitely supposed to be more or less Steve Wozniak. He's this film's version of Steve Wozniak. Uh, and Mackenzie Davis as Cameron Howe, who I call Tank Girl, because that's what she is. She looks like Tank Girl. She acts like Tank Girl. She's a genius like Tank Girl, and she's sexy like Tank Girl. Does she have uh, iced tea as a kangaroo? (laughs) No, she does not, although I hope that happens in season two. (laughs) I mean, they've got a prairie that's silicon. I'm hoping Jet Girl shows up at some point as well. But uh, they basically, Scoot McNary works for this business that are making business computer stuff that is not com- competing with IBM and the company in Texas and Lee Pace shows up as the big city slicker boy who comes in with a big mouth can talks his way into a job there as a salesman only to come in and s- basically convince Scoop McNary okay we need to break the law here secretly take apart an IBM PC figure out backwards backwards uh, reverse, we, engineer. reverse engineer the chip from it and then come out with a better version of it and then basically force this company into a position where rather than just pay IBM a lot of money when they revealed that, yes, we did this, which he himself calls IBM to say, oh, by the way, this company I'm working for, I just did this for them, (laughs) Uh, forces them to basically say, okay, well, we've got to go ahead and go with this because he's got this grand master plan of how they're going to make IBM run IBM out of business. And it's clear this is, he's got an ax grind because he used to work for IBM. And that's kind of revealed as it goes along. He hires this young hotshot Cameron played by Mackenzie Davis. Who's, you know, he meets in a, a, like in a, a class who's like, basically when he's asked those questions, who's ever done this, who's ever done this, who's ever done this. She's the only one still left raising her hand at the end of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the computer hacker hotshot to come in and help him do this. And it's a, you know, it's it's one of those shows where they keep trying to, to build this thing and things keep going wrong. And there's lots of sabotage and, and backfighting. A lot of it kind of goes circular. Like uh, everybody gets along great because things are going well. Oh, shit. The thing they're working on stopped working and it's not going well. Oh, they all hate each other. Oh, wait, somebody came up with a new idea that's going to make things go well they all like each other again and it's this con- <laughs> continuous cycle of that plot basically but that being said watching these guys interact and the very tight and 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 
fast moving way that this is filmed and knowing something, having lived through this period and being excited to watch where computers were going at that time and how very much it was the wild west at that point. Like everybody was trying something and trying to do it fast. It's a really exciting, fun show. And it doesn't hurt the fact most of the soundtrack is based on, uh, Mackenzie Davis's listening habits where she's like a little punk rocker. So it's constantly filled with all the music I was listening to at this period of time, like the vandals and stuff like that, like great skate punk music, like the big boys and, and, you know, wonderful punk rock from that period. I had so much fun with the show. I was actually on the edge of my seat all the way through this. And I'm so excited that the second season that it got, that it got, uh, like hooked up for a second season. Cause I loved the shit out of it. And honestly, I couldn't recommend it to you more. It is one of those smartest guy in the room shows, which irritates some people, but it is, it, yeah, the first episode feels like that. Like, oh, this is one of those. He's the Sherlock Holmes of computers. But as it goes along, it's clear this guy is totally fucked up, and he is bullshitting his way through half of this. And he is so spectacularly fucked up that you can't wait to see more of the reasoning as it we, it goes along, and we find out why he's as fucked up as he is. Well, if if it culminates into them pressuring IBM to where they had to make OS two, then they are truly evil humans. <laughs> It does have, like, them bitching about Windows, <laughs> if that means anything at all. Uh, there's a few extras on here. Most of it's just EPK-type stuff on here. Nothing really that that I you can recommend it for alone. But ultimately, this is a TV show well worth your time. Super fun. And you will, I believe, give it a couple episodes, and you will get completely fucking hooked into it, just like I did. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. And the last title that we're viewing, which is also our... Giveaway! Which is Battlestar Galactica, the definitive collection on Blu-ray. Now, there's two versions of this out, okay? Uh, the version I'm we're giving away is not the giant-ass version. <laughs> there's the, 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 the two versions, there's one that is 18 discs, which is uh, six discs of Battlestar Galactica, the original series full frame, which is just the fir- the one and only season that they did, and then six discs of the original series in widescreen, where this whole thing has been remastered in both versions, but one version they've remastered it so it goes from four three into the widescreen version. Uh, so obviously, purists might be a little pissed. You know, like, you how know dare what? you alter the image? But you know what, purists? You got the original, too, so pipe down. No, but I get it. I get it. And I will say this, like, the four three version obviously went through a tighter remastering mm-hmm. process than the full frame version went through a tighter remastering process than the widescreen version does because the widescreen version looks great full frame version looks better so then just watch that but if I'm they're both included who cares uh, it also comes with uh, Galactica 1980 both on full frame frame and widescreen which is the sequel series which no one in their right mind watched no. I still haven't even watched it yet I'll get around to it someday I've never heard good things about it but I'm curious more than anything because I know stuff from it was stuff that the remake years later played off of well essentially what happens in, in Galactica 1980 is that uh, Starbuck is missing and and they're they're on Earth, but really what happens is that he joins up with B. A. Baracus and Hannibal, <laughs> and and it becomes a part of the the A team. Oh, I see. That's that it was a lead in. I wish that's what had actually happened. <laughs> Uh, and then it comes with a single disc of the 35th anniversary version of the film pilot, which is in some ways kind of extraneous to this because the first two episodes of the show are the pilot right. with some parts changed to make it 
for the pilot so the pilot would end. Like, the pilot has, like, the main bad guy, Baltar, gets his head cut off by the Cylons at the end. Yeah, that doesn't happen in the first two episodes of the show. No, (laughs) difficult show otherwise. Yeah, so that was added to give the movie a feeling of an ending, and there's some stuff that's cut out of it to make it a little tighter running time, what have you. Uh, You know, it's a... Oh, I'm sorry. The the set we are giving away is an eight disc remastered collection box set, which is the original series on widescreen and then Galactica 1980 on widescreen. So it's basically everything you need, unless you're going to be a purist and bitch that you preferred the full frame. But it's still a gorgeous little set uh, that we are giving away. But let's just talk about Battlestar Galactica in and of itself before. Yes, we get to let's. <laughs> so. <laughs> When, when He's Joe, so excited. When Joe mentioned that that uh, he, he wanted to be Wonder Woman uh, <laughs> as a little little kid, uh, that was also tempered by uh, making my mother uh, sew me capes because Battlestar Galactica, the original, is all about capes. Oh, there's so many capes. There's so much cape play. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, no, this is definitely one of the ones that I, I, I grew up watching. I didn't understand why the Alpo dude was in space, but I just knew I loved Lauren it. Green. Yeah, that's well, right. You know, I forgot he was on yeah. the Alpo commercial. Or the Mutual of Omaha, well, Wild Kingdom. He was like, that guy because he's a Western television show guy, first and foremost. Well, then he's, he's, he's a dog food guy, first and foremost. But anyway. I'm pretty sure the Westerns came first. I, I, I don't know. I think dog food's always <laughs> first. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Lauren Green was, was uh, you know, as a Dama. Um, and quite frankly, because of the difference in times, I, I, I honestly wouldn't say that, that, uh, Olmos is better than, than green. I think they're just different animals. Yeah. They're just, just completely different, uh, tones. Well, I mean, the best thing performance wise in the original show is obviously green. You watch mm-hmm. it and you're like, he was a really great actor. He was a very great television actor as well. Knew what he was doing with that. And even when the show's at its corniest and oh boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> does it get corny? He's still the one guy who was probably the one keeping everybody else from cracking up. Even right. though in the extras in here, it's like, you know what he loved to do? He would tell the worst fucking jokes. <laughs> He would tell these jokes so horrible or just offensive or just goofy, and he'd laugh his ass off, and he'd make you laugh, and then it would be right before they went to scene, and, and he'd, go, time. he'd go, zip, <laughs> and he was in character completely, like that, like, no problem, because, I'm in character, because, he is a master. because he's good, and everybody else would be like, god damn it. <laughs> Uh, but him and Dirk Benedict, who once again is kind of a TV legend in his own right. Oh, absolutely. Playing both Starbuck here, the, a guy back in the day, and uh, Face on the A-Team, uh, well, is so charismatic and likable well, on that show. Yeah, like as, as a kid, I didn't want to be Apollo. I wanted to be Starbuck. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> like, by far. Yeah, well, that reflects in the fact that we're sitting in this living room right now doing this as opposed to making... Six figures a year doing something else, probably. That's the Apollo kids that are own their own businesses. No, the Apollo kids are, are, are on the fucking reboot 20 years later. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's. I guess the thing I enjoyed most about watching this is not even realizing the degree to which the reboot series really did take from the original series. No, it took tons. Tons of stuff from this. It was not like, oh, here's just the idea and then we're going to go our own way. Like, a gigantic amount of stuff from that is lifted directly from this original series. Well, right. Like, you... you the, the end point of, of uh, the, the reboot is, is basically encapsulated in the opening of every show of, of the original. Yeah. Now, uh, John Dykstra did the special Special effects for that, and who was a master? At oh the time. yeah, like, so and they are the best. They are like 
so much better than any special effects that were on TV. At right, the time. you're not getting junk. This isn't Buck Rogers. This like, is the first show ever to hit a million dollars per episode. And, the first and, show ever, and to it hit should that have. Level. And it, and they look great. The effects look really yes, good. They do. I mean, like the Vipers are are almost unchanged. Dude, the, the Vipers are iconic. Yeah, you know they kept them for the new show, exactly because <laughs> you know, they're fucking iconic. Cylons, not so much. No, no, there was there was wiggle room in that. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, but they're still. I mean, I guess they are iconic in their way, no question. But they're just like they're pretty goofy. I mean, they were trying to make stormtroopers, and the thing is, Glenn A. Larson, who certainly has a long, successful career on television of television shows. Everything he ever did was a ripoff of a movie, and he was he was the greatest hack of his time. Yes, like this is this is basically hacking Star Wars. But what's amazing about it is even in ripping it off, there were so many good nuggets that it was reusable. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And I mean, there's certainly something to be said for watching this in terms of like, okay, this is an episodic show, and so it's doing a lot of the plots that came from movies. There's a great Dirty Dozen episode of yeah. this one, uh, two-parter. There's a really funny Western episode where Apollo is like has to yeah. go down this planet and have a six-gun, like, middle of the street at noon shootout with a Cylon they call Red Eye. Yeah, but those, those were always the episodes of Star Trek that I hated. Um, <laughs> and, what I mean, even as a kid, I kind of thought of of uh, Battlestar as a synthesis of Star Wars and Star Trek just because of the, the episodic format of it. Right, right, right. Uh, and it kind of was. I mean, I don't think it was better. It was as good as either one. I think that's self-evident, no. uh, at least as far as this original show. But um, there was definitely more than enough really good stuff on the show to make it worthwhile in its own right. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun, and partially just because of the strength of character. It does an interesting thing in the first couple episodes where it takes a major character and unexpectedly kills them. Yeah. And you're like, wait, seriously? That wasn't something you did back then. Yeah, this, <laughs> you know? is, this isn't Robotech here, guys. Come on. It gave you the no one is safe thing, and you're like, wow, that was – I did not see that coming, admittedly. And, you know, one of the most recognizable actors – yeah. So it was like, wow, that was kind of startling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I you know, I, I love Patrick McNee, who does the voiceover narration, ends up playing at one point in this The Devil, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fun. Fred Astaire has a role oh, in yeah, this at yeah, one yeah. point. Oh, it was so fantastic. It was a battle of the network stars. <laughs> it kind of was. Uh, so, yeah, getting this all set, I mean, it is so worth your time. And there's audio commentary uh, from Dirk Benedict and Richard Hatch, who played Apollo and later played another role on the later series. I believe he was the only actor to come on for a main role. Well, on- part of it was that... Uh- like I loved Dirk Benedict until I found out what a giant bag of ass he is. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. Uh, so, which is a shame because he's just riddled with charisma. He absolutely is. And at first, he was okay with Starbuck being a woman, but then he kind of reverted back to his A team days and said some not so great not so shit. Great and stuff. Yeah. Okay, well then I guess you don't get to be on yeah, it. Then you can be quiet. <laughs> uh, there's 209 minutes of deleted scenes. Holy oh. shit. I mean, they went out of their way to dredge up everything that existed. More than three and a half hours of deleted scenes. That's crazy. Uh, There's a thing about Battlestar Galactica Remastered, which is like six minutes, uh, that's only on the extended, the version that you're not getting, sorry. But everything else is on on the other version, which is uh, 45 minutes of remembering Battlestar Galactica from 2004, which is retrospective with interviews with everybody that's actually really fun Mm -hmm. and like tells all the goofy stories on set. There's a... Six minutes of Glenn Larson, the creator 
on the creation of Battlestar Galactica, which I don't know why he does doesn't say. I saw Star Wars and said, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inside Battle- Battlestar Galactica, the Cylons, five minutes featurette, looking at the, the the actors who have to deal with all that bullshit walking around in those. There's one on the Daggett, which is the little dog character, oh, which was actually that. a chimpanzee inside there. Sure, and inside the chimpanzee was was a little person. <laughs> no, no, it was it was a monkey. Played. No, no, I know. I'm just saying it's, it's like a turducken. When when does it end? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's. I just think that isn't that cruelty to animals. It's completely covered Absolutely. in this yeah. hot suit. I was like, how do they get to do that? You can't stick anything inside a, a little robot costume that can't call its lawyer. True. Uh, five minutes on composing the score. Ultimately, this is a set that is well worth your time. If you're either a later day Battlestar Galactica fan, you're a cheesy 70s and 80s television sci-fi fan, or you're just... You know, want to see the history of a lot where a lot of other stuff came or, from, or, or sexy Jane Seymour. Yeah, oh, yeah, boy, she was hot. Mm-hmm. And whoever the girl was, who was kind of the prostitute type character, the blonde, who oh, right, was right, always right. fighting with the other girl over Starbucks. The blonde, oh, who's still hot. They show her in the interviews, and I was like, oh my god, you're still gorgeous. Can you make you're out like a with, to- with Kurt Starbucks? <laughs> you're the hottest gilf I've ever seen. <laughs> Anyway, well, that brings us to the end of the show, but let's tell you how you can win this Battlestar Galactica. How do we win it? Well, first you need to be on Twitter. What? Uh, Oh, that thing? Yeah, that thing. Sorry. Uh, And what you need to do is, it's one of us net, at one of us net, is our Twitter. And you need to message us on there with a hashtag, uh, Battlestar Giveaway. And what you're going to say to win it is... Um... on the spot, 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 do the on the spot, death, book, joke, on the spot. How did Kung Fury save your life? No, 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 it has to be about Battlestar Galactica. Oh, how did Battlestar Galactica save your life? Yeah, but they haven't seen it yet. Uh, any of them? How could Battlestar Galactica save your life? Okay, how could Battlestar Galactica save your life? The best answer, we'll send this set to you, it is gorgeous looking, it'll sit great on your shelf and your friends will be jealous and girls will want to sleep with you. Yeah. Especially the ones that already wanted to sleep with you. Well, girls who are in their 50s and 60s who used to watch this show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you get some experienced action. Dude, some of that sweet, sweet retirement money. Mm hmm. (laughs) Was the the expression? They don't smell, they don't swell, and they don't tell, and they're grateful as hell. That's horrible. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Actually, I'm not even... Oh, it's, it's me and Brian next week, because Richard and Sam are both uh, alternately busy with projects or out of town, way out of town. Uh, so get ready for that. Back to the old school on that one. In the meantime, no releases too big, no releases too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all. <laughs>